Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, and thank you so much for joining us again for the second episode of Not Wasting a Single Story. My name is Kamuchirai Mutezo, and I am the hostess who will be poking the guests with the mostest. By now, you've got an indication of why we have these conversations and what they are centered around. Waste. We don't want to waste a single story. And so we have lovely guests who come into this beautiful space on the hashtag Green Couch. And we talk about what it has to offer as a sector, as a resource and the whole nine yards. Basically showcasing the beauty, the positivity and most importantly, the opportunities and people who are working in the space. Today, I'm joined by a very good friend. Oh, we come a long way, hey? Mm -hmm. Thanks to Toastmasters. We are here. Shout out to Toastmasters International. <laughs> His name is Himka, Himka Singh. And how many years have we known each other? Four now. Yes, and we've known each other for four years. It started off with a speech that I delivered at his Toastmasters Club. And, you know, in at times in life you meet people and you just know, if you know, you know that there's going to be something that comes out here. So I'm really happy to have you on the green couch today because you have a lot that you can share about this beautiful space of ours called Waste. But before we get into that part, who are you? Like... Where did you grow up? What did you study? Who is this person behind the business? We'll unpack a bit later. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the Green Couch Camus. It's uh, quite extraordinary that we met four years ago at Toastmasters. Now we've created businesses in waste and now we're talking about it to encourage other people to do it. For me, it didn't start like that. It started with, uh, I was born in Cape Town. Oh, uh, I didn't know that part. Really? <laughs> Which part of yeah. Cape Town? You know, I don't even remember the name <laughs> of the area, but it was near a golf course. Oh, okay. Because I left there when I was quite young. Yeah. And then I moved to Johannesburg and then I grew up in Johannesburg. Yeah. In Johannesburg, I went to Witz. I studied engineering there, civil engineering. And I had a particular interest in water. Mm. That's why I studied engineering. And then I also continued studying water in Witz in a, in a graduate diploma in engineering degree. Yeah. And then after that, I continued further to study water further. And that led to this extraordinary journey that I'm on now. Yeah. This is all, all about water. Why water? I mean, you could have been a structural engineer. You could have been a chemical engineer. You could have specialized in any other element of the built environment. Why water? I think I was just always in tune with Something in the universe that was telling me I need to be walking, working with water. Yeah. I was captivated by water. I could spend hours just watching water flow on the soil and seep into the soil. And uh, I had, I remember I went to a Randwater, Randwater in mm. uh, Johannesburg. It's a public water utility. I went there in primary school and then they told us that there would be water scarcity issues if we didn't save water. Mm. And then 20 years later, there was water scarcity. Yeah. So I was like, they, we knew about this 20 years ago, but it still happened. Yeah. So throughout my life, there has been threads of water telling me that I should be working with this. And then I kept following that. Yeah. A very important point you've just highlighted, and it solidifies why we have these conversations, why we're we not wanting to waste a single story, is you were exposed even at 
school level, you were told that water is going to become an issue. And I'm going to assume that it already touched your mind at that stage to say, hey, okay, this is real. I can actually do something in the space. Yeah, and as a kid, you don't... It's, it's strange to be thinking about a, a public good. Like, uh, you need to solve the water crisis for everybody. Mm. When you're a kid, you're thinking about other things, about playing, about sports, about friends. Mm. But I was always thinking about water. I don't know why. But uh, when I looked back, I could see the dots connecting. Yeah. So it's important to take notice of those things that are on your mind all the time when you're growing up. They tend to be the things that are like the puzzle pieces of your life. Yeah. The things you don't remember that much is probably not that important. But there are things that always re reoccur. And then the, those are the ones that are trying to tell you where to go. Yeah. Okay. Earlier we were speaking about self-care and the human side of it. So now we got to know where you were born and what you studied. What do you do for fun? I typically do a lot of gardening. Mm -hmm. I, I love to be with the soil, yeah. like planting things, seeing them grow. I uh, go out for dinner quite a lot with my girlfriend. Mm. Uh, I like to go hiking with her as well, in the, usually in the weekends. Yeah. And uh, when I get time and money, I travel mm. and try and climb mountains then as well. And then typically just day-to-day uh, -day is just reading. Yeah. And um, actually I enjoy business very much. <laughs> so I find that to be somewhat of a hobby. Yeah. In some aspects I don't enjoy, so I, you know, I've tried to do those late as possible in the day um but i actually enjoy it very much yeah it's good to know this part of my guests because yeah there are the professional technical elements which are there but behind all of that there's a human you know so it's always nice to appreciate what you're up to and also one day if i need to get you a gift i know what kind of gift i can get for you <laughs> okay it might include a two-day hiking trip in cambodia or something like that <laughs> Gardening. Okay, so you studied civil, specialized in water, and you like playing around with soil. How on earth did we get to the compost kitchen? How are all of these things interlinked? Mm, yeah, that was the extraordinary part. You know, in 2017, there was a very bad drought in South Africa. Mm. We were calling it day zero in Cape Town Yeah, when the taps almost ran dry. So I knew that we had known about the problem for 20 years. And the problem still happened. So I was worried that if we didn't do something, we it would happen again in the future and be much worse. Mm. There are case studies around the world when the water runs dry, there's conflict, there's fighting, there's deaths. So that can happen if you don't solve that problem. Mm. So I left this country to study a master's degree in water management in Germany. And I lived in Germany for five months and I moved to Vietnam for five months. Mm. And then I moved to Jordan to five months to try and get every possible perspective of water management. Yeah. And then the solution that I found during that time was that the soil is the most important component of the water cycle. But 60% of soil in South Africa is lacking organic matter. Mm. And the organic matter is what makes the soil act like a sponge. So it holds onto the water and then allows it to infiltrate into the groundwater system. Yeah. So I knew that to fix the water problem in South Africa, we actually need to repair the soil. Mm -hmm. We need to save water, we need to build dams, we need to do all these things. But if we don't fix the soil, which is the most fundamental level of water, mm. we're going to always have problems. Yeah. So I realized we need to put the organic matter back in the soil. 
then I assist all kinds of models around the world of how people are doing that. They tend to be the most popular one is composting. Yes. And then the most popular one were non-profit projects or some kind of community-based project where people would bring compost into the site, it would be composted and then somehow get into the soil. Mm. But I found that those projects were typically quite small. They were just a small local uh, neighborhood project and they typically lasted two or three years. Mm. So I didn't think that would make me make the impact I wanted in South Africa. But then I found business models around the world that had gone on for some 10 or 20 years. Some have gone international, some are uh, throughout the country, large scale. Yeah. So I realized that a profit model is what I needed to use. And then I set about designing a business model of how to do it. Yeah. Okay. And in this process, were you ever introduced to waste as a sector or even compost as a byproduct of organic waste? Or it primarily just came from that angle of drought and water scarcity? I think it came from many impressions through my life. So I always had the habit of putting my banana peels in the soil. Mm. I never felt right throwing them in the bin. Let me poke just that point. Why didn't it feel right? Is it something that you grew up with in the household or just you as an individual who thought, mm, or rather felt, mm, <laughs> don't want to throw this away? Mm. I think it's a household thing. Uh-huh. Also an individual thing because okay. uh, we already did something like that in our garden. Yeah. But I I went to another level, you know. Then I got worms and the family started using that yeah. for composting. And then uh, there were there, you know there were extraordinary times like in uh, when I was living in Durban for a while, I had no garden. I was staying in an apartment, I had no garden to bury it. There was no composting system available. Yeah. So I used to take my organic waste to my work office. When everybody had left the office, I would dig it in the soil, I would bury it in the garden. <laughs> and it was a strange thing to do, you know. Nobody, I didn't know anyone else doing something like that. And at that time, it was before I studied water. So I was already seeing this kind of interest in food waste. So then in Germany, I, re- I found that they already have a food waste collection service. Yeah. There's a separate bin for that. So it was the first time I got to understand that that kind of system is possible. And in Vietnam, I saw that waste was a serious issue mm. because it was polluting the water so- sources. So they have they, Vietnam doesn't have water drought, uh, water scarcity issues. They have water excess. Interesting. Okay. But it's getting polluted by the waste. Yeah. So then I collected waste and water there. And then in Jordan, I um, realized or learned that Jordan has some of the best soil in the world, Mm. but it's lacking organic matter, which makes it very hard to grow anything there. Yeah. Makes it like desert soil, but it's got the nutrients that it needs. So I learned that if you put, if they were to put organic matter in the soil, they could become an agricultural powerhouse of the region. Mm. Where currently now they import about ninety percent of their food. Mm-hmm. So I connected all these three impressions, or and the different impressions through my life, and then I realized that composting is what I needed to do. Yeah. Be I needed to be working with waste. I started seeing waste as a solution to the problem yeah. of water, and then I started figuring it out um, how other people are doing something similar. I really like that. A very different perspective of seeing waste as a solution for water it starts to show principles of a circular economy 
which brings me to that concept. How did you get to know about it? What is the circular economy for you? How are you applying it at the Compass Kitchen? Mm -hmm. So the business model I design is where we collect food waste from households, mm. then we recycle it into compost, a special type of compost called vermicompost, and then we give back vermicompost to the customer. Yeah. And the reason we do that giving back the compost, that's the circular part of the business, is that when we started, we realized that there was low trust in the recycling industry mm. because there had been some case studies of the recycling getting dumped in the river or the ocean. So people weren't sure where their recycling goes. So they were unsure if they should pay for it. Yeah, Our, our service is where the customer pays about 200 rand a month. For that, we need to prove that it's been composted. Yes, yes. yes. So by giving back the vermicompost, we prove that it's been composted and they're willing to pay. So we use a circular principle to solve a problem in the business. Yeah. And um, I think there are many other lessons we can learn from circular economy that we can apply in business to solve issues. Yeah. Let's actually delve into the circular business models, right? I mean, earlier, again, we were chatting about these models and how they can be applied to different waste streams. When you hear this word circular economy, does it sound scary? Does it sound doable? Does it sound possible? And the reason I'm asking this is from other conversations I've had, especially with those in the finance space, right? Catalytic funding for small businesses who have a circular vision, who've got circular business models in place, it's not always easy to get. And so some financiers would be like, hmm, what's the ROI? I'm actually not seeing this. And it becomes a question of, is it, is it scary when you use that concept? Does it deter people from wanting to explore it? We found that circular economy means opportunity. Mm. There's so much talk about circular economy. When there's talk about something, that means there's opportunity. Yeah. So we find a lot of people wanting to invest in some kind of circular business. Some even have policy that it should only be circular, should only be sustainable. Mm. Um, at least 50% of the objectives of the company should be that. Not uh, a company which is doing some damage and then doing some imp positive impact on the side. They want the business to be doing the impact directly. Yeah. And so we found that there's many of these kinds of opportunities coming up where people are figuring out that customers want a more sustainable system in the way they're doing business. Maybe like in our case, it's food waste. Mm -hmm. Customers want their food waste to be composted. You know, it shouldn't go to the landfill. Yeah. And they're willing to pay for it. So there's many other instances like that where customers are not happy with certain behavior in their house. Um, it's usually driven by society. It's by driven by the needs of society at that time. Yeah. Right now, it's about sustainability. So we find that if um, there's a lot of conversation around it, there's opportunity. Mm. In circular economy, um, there's really a lot of talk about it at the moment. So people have to be looking at it. They have to be seeing that a lot is happening there. Yeah. I like that you mentioned we need to have more conversations. So this green couch is going to be around for a while. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of opportunities, right? Aside from the composting activities, where else 
should the next generation of decision makers look out for opportunities? What are the opportunities? How do we get people excited to want to get into the space? Well, there, there is one food waste um, opportunity I'd like to mention, and that's the organic waste to landfill ban mm. that's coming in the country. It's already in the Western Cape. It's coming in Johannesburg soon, maybe two or three years. Yeah. That will say that you can't throw your food waste in the bin anymore. But currently there are not enough solutions to deal with that. Yeah. There's no alternative. Or there are just small ones at the moment. So that is massive opportunity if you're listening for it. Mm. It's going, there's people are going to be asking around, what can I do with my food waste? Where can I compost it? So um, there's policy-driven change or opportunities that are coming. Mm-hmm. But there's also some that are driven by the customer. For example, we have customers asking us for us to come and design food gardens for them. Mm. They want to do vegetable gardening in their house. Mm. They maybe lack the experience of how to do it because maybe they've tried before and the plants died uh, or they overwatered it and it dried or they underwatered and it dried up. So they want somebody to come and help them with that. Yeah. We don't currently have that expertise, but now we're starting to get it. So we, there's many opportunities we start seeing. We started with waste. Mm. Now it unlocked so many other things. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you just start looking at waste as a resource, you'll start seeing there's opportunities in it. Absolutely love that. And again, that's why we're having these conversations, because we need to debunk any negative perceptions on waste as this horrible monster, the cookie monster from Sesame Street, right? (laughs) Rather, Mm. when we unpack that entire value chain, we start to see all of these opportunities. I quite like that there is conversation and mindset shift around the agricultural component because we've touched on water, we've touched on soil rehabilitation, and now we're getting into agriculture and it's an entire circular approach, you know, and that makes it exciting for people to keep an eye out on, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And is that a, I suppose, a business venture that you may look at expanding into urban agriculture? Yes, we are now looking at it. We've um, been meeting some partners. Mm. We are, um, we, we're driven by the need of our customers, right? We, we ba- go based on what they're asking us for. So many of them have been asking for seedlings. Yeah. Some of them asking for um, vegetable garden designs, so we start and training courses as well. They want mm. to send their kids to be learning how to grow something. They want them to be working with the soil, with the planting something, seeing how it grows. Mm. I grew up doing that; it was just fun for me. Um, but I, I hear these days the parents are saying the kids aren't doing that anymore. Yeah, they're in so inside; they're playing games. So they just want to get them doing something fun outside. And so we are looking now at setting up. We've already ordered seedlings from somebody. Mm. We're going to start selling those to customers, but also giving customers for free. Yeah. Just as a kind gesture for what they are doing for us. You know, they've already been supportive of our business. Yeah. Then we're going to offer training courses soon towards the end of the year. Then maybe towards the beginning of next year, we will start doing the vegetable garden designs. Yeah. And then, uh, so that seems to be in the pipeline. You know, yeah. we're still strategizing for the next year, but that seems to be where customers are directing us. Yeah, and everything you've mentioned is 
basically an opportunity, which means there's always something for everyone across that mm. value chain. And by the way, you've seen my composting activities. Mm. So <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what you need to do. You yeah. know, just come back after this podcast so that we can talk about that spinach, <laughs> see what must happen in that element. Mm-hmm. I want us to come back to conversations and mindsets beginning at home, right? You've just alluded to the fact that parents are saying it's no longer happening. Their children are indoors, gadgets. Now they're willing to pay for that service or that experience of, I suppose, reintroducing them to agriculture, right? What type of conversations should be happening at home? And who should be leading these I think the f- most fundamental conversation and about everything we're doing is about health. Mm. It's about health of the body. I believe it's like the most fundamental thing. If you have a sick body, your experience of life is suboptimal. Yeah. The sicker you are, the, the less your experience of life is. So I always try to say we should try and get to an, some kind of optimum level, let's say 90%. Mm. And I think that starts with the food we eat. Because the food we eat transforms into what the body is. Mm. It's the body is chemistry. The, the your moods are affected by your chemistry at the time. So, uh, in a fundamental level, so I believe we should be talking about health. How do we eat healthily? Healthily, healthy eating. I think starts with growing your food. Yeah. Because when you grow your food, you see what goes into it. You see how it grows. You see the difference between a herb grown in your home, the taste, the intense flavor of it compared to when you buy at the supermarket. Mm. You'll know there's a difference when you do it. Then you'll start to say, okay, what, maybe the quality of vegetables I'm buying from my store is not the, the quality that I, I want to be eating yeah. in my body. And you start uh, having these practices, these, this thinking in your household. And I think that's where it starts. Then you start branching out from there of how can I live more healthily, how can I live more sustainably, and uh, it just goes further from there. Yeah, hence the saying, you are what you eat. Mm. If you eat junk, thou art junk. Yes. <laughs> if you eat fresh food, yes. thou art fresh. You feel, and you're right, you do feel a major difference around that. And as younglings get their hands dirty, no pun intended, mm. it can certainly contribute towards that mindset shift. Because again, coming back to the key word of today, conversations, if we're not talking about it, what will our urban spaces look like in the next five, ten years? And these are the decision makers who will need to ensure, you know, some of these projects and innovations do have a sound platform, a conducive environment to actually take place. All right. Okay. Still on this aspect of mindsets, right? Let's get into corporate as well as public sector, should there be a mindset shift? Is the mindset currently all right? How can they do better? How can they do more? What can they do? That's a tricky one because I find that in South Africa, the policies are very good. Mm. The, the waste management policy of South Africa is brilliant. Yeah, I'm giggling. They know about all the issues with waste. Mm. They have strategies uh, to deal with it, but somewhere it's it's getting lost and uh, it's not happening on the ground. 
So I think uh, I'm taking the perspective of we need to solve it ourselves first. We need to drive it as businesses, mm. as entrepreneurs, actually. The entrepreneurs need to, uh, are the ones who create solutions. So, example, my customers, they've been looking to compost their food waste, mm. but there hasn't been a solution for them. So it's been going to the landfill. Yeah. But when they hear about our service, they sign up and they, they use it. So it means there's thousands of people already looking to recycle their waste, but they lack solutions. Mm. So it's the entrepreneur that brings the solution. They're the one who go and go, goes and collects it from the house and gets it composted. Mm. Whether or not there's policy, the entrepreneur does that. So if entrepreneurs are the one who are going to solve most of that problem of getting the work done, of the policy, they need to be supported as much as we can. Mm. It's um, it's like they're soldiers. You need to feed them well. You need to take care of them. They're the yeah. ones who are going to fight the battle. Yeah. So I think um, public sector, I think they need to shift away from talking about waste mm. and just go and support the entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, you're quite right. And I'm certainly looking forward to having some public sector officials, financiers on this couch as well. Because to my point earlier, you can have a circular business, you can have a sustainable, goal-driven business and address probably 80% of them. But when setting up, there are certain costs that need to be covered and there tends to be more resources for, let me say, tech-enabled businesses than the circular ones. And so getting into their mindsets as well as appreciating the thought process and all these parameters that have stood the test of time and them making a decision, it will be interesting because the solutions are there, the ideas are there, the entrepreneurs are there to implement. But get going. Mm -hmm. However, then there's a flip side. Can you start a business without money? I started a business without money. Ah, okay. So I yes, have, you can. <laughs> I have no public funding. I have no kind of funding from anybody. Yeah. The policies of South Africa never affected me, never helped me. Mm. They're going to help me later when I'm bigger. Yeah. Right now, I didn't, I didn't need anything to start because waste is currently free. Yeah. But you can turn waste into something very valuable. We turn food waste into vermicompost. Mm. Vermicompost is the most expensive type of compost. Yes. Because it has the largest impact on the soil or, yeah. or the largest results for customers. Yeah. So we started without funding. We just started using a lean method. We started uh, keeping, we just kept costs really low. And we did most of the things ourselves. Mm. And then we just grew from there and we used the, used the revenue to the business yeah but if we had had funding at that time we would have been much further by now we would have been collecting tons more waste than we are now mm. because we had you know three years of finding our feet getting to a stable level and and now we're at a stage now our revenue is three million rand a year mm. now we can start affording to uh, grow the business and do more r&d in the business yeah if you had the money from the beninging, as the youth will say nowadays, what would you have spent it on? I would have spent it on marketing. Okay. Because I found that when I started spending on marketing, it was the next year. Yeah. We started growing. Before that, I had no budget for marketing. Yeah. 
So they were, like I said, there were customers waiting for our service. There are currently now customers waiting for someone to collect glass from them, someone to collect their e-waste. Mm. But uh, they sometimes maybe there is somebody providing that service, but they're not connected yet. Yes. So for me, it would have been marketing. Then it would have been um, a more efficient compost operation. So uh, that means something like a machine yeah. that we can put the food waste in. It would turn it into compost in a few days. Yeah. And that way we could have the compost machine closer to the collection zones. Yes. That reduces the distance between the, or just reduces the distance we travel. So uh, that's very important. That's fundamental to a business like this is the, tra- the time you're spending traveling. Yeah. yeah. The distance you're tra- traveling. That's the main cost. So um, if we could do that, then we can start collecting from bigger generators of food waste, like restaurants. Mm. We only do households at the moment. Yeah. Restaurants, cafes, um, hotels, offices. But at the moment we have, we're under capacity. Yeah. Um, so over capacity. We have too much waste. We don't, we don't have enough composting capability to deal with it. Yeah. So, you know, if we had that capability, we would have been, uh, we would have bought that machine or we would have set up an operation of compost and been further along by now. Okay. And as we're getting towards the end of our conversation, right, there will be some current and aspiring entrepreneurs who will pick a few nuggets from our chat what is that one thing that you'll tell a current or a prospective circular slash waste entrepreneur to bear in mind as they take on these opportunities? I think there's two things. One is the, the most important thing is the customer. Mm. You need to be servicing the customer. What are their needs? What, are, what uh, will satisfy them? They're the ones who are going to pay you to make the business work. Entrepreneurs in waste or circular economy tend to think that they need to educate society on this waste problem. But an entrepreneur's job is not to educate society. It's to create a solution for the customer. Yeah. So they try and tackle a, a problem that is not solvable by them. They think they need to educate the customer, then the customer will start using their service. Yeah. So I say there's already people who will use your service. You need to find them. Yeah and develop a model for them. Not uh, create some kind of education, non-profit, to think that that's what we need. Right now we need solutions. There's enough people who mm. care about the problem. Mm. Uh, the, the, just because people aren't recycling doesn't mean that they don't care about it. Mm. It probably means that there's lack of solutions for them. You know, Some will want collection, some won't want collection, yeah. because that may uh, be... They will be, means they'll be keeping their waste in a bin for a week. Maybe they don't want that. Maybe they want a drop-off. Mm. Maybe some want a machine in their house to compost the food waste. So you need to be thinking about that. You need to be thinking about the customer and the solution for them. Yeah. And then the second thing is that there's a lot of business opportunity in waste. It's like a resource. It's like gold in the in the soil, in the, in the earth. Right? If nobody... It's there mm. already... But somebody had the brains to go and dig and take it out and refine it into something that people will like. Yeah. Waste is there right now. It's a resource waiting for people to use. So we proved that we're one case. If we can make three million rand on food waste, mm. it's it's enough to to know that there's opportunity in it. Yeah. So entrepreneurs need to be thinking about that. They need to 
on the internet, see what are other people doing with e-waste, what do people do with glass. Yeah. You will find ideas and you will find something that's suitable for you and you can figure out a solution for your customers with that. I'm smiling like a mudfish right now because I'm remembering when we're getting to know one another. It was probably my most immediate contact to understanding vermicomposting. I met your kids, those lovely worms, and I instantly fell in love and I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened being reminded that from nature you find a lot of business models, mm. business ideas. And these little guys, the way they operate, the mechanisms behind it, mm. they present a wide variety of such opportunities that you've mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, and the worms are so, uh, there's so much information about them. They seem like, oh, it's like going to take it's going to be very difficult you need a degree to take care of worms mm. but you can just watch youtube videos people will talk about exactly what you need to do yeah so it's like it's accessible to everyone these business models yeah and the key takeaway for me at this particular point is be a liker of things you've heard the opportunities that are available and you've debunked any scary aspects of what this thing monster cookie monster called waste might look like it's actually not that scary mm. it's actually beautiful so be a liker of things, you know, draw these nuggets from our conversations and be intentional to explore them. Himka, thank you to the moon and beyond for spending these few minutes on this green couch, sharing your experiences and most importantly, showcasing where the fun bits are. Really appreciate it. And certainly looking forward to having other conversations with you right here. Thanks so much for having me, uh, Kamu, Dr. Kamu. Um, and uh, for the entrepreneurs, they should connect with us yeah. on LinkedIn because we will offer a lot of support there. We're trying to encourage everybody to start these businesses. Yes. So hopefully we'll get that uh, feedback from the podcast. Okay, looking forward to it. Cheers to that. Thanks. Thanks.